Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Simon Ford at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. We're continuing our series, which we've entitled um, The Surrendered Life, where we've been looking at the coming together of two realities. On the one hand, this whole reality of taking up your cross and following Jesus, and on the other, this whole idea of living the full and abundant life. And so often these two realities are polarised. They're here. And uh, that's wrong. It's either all about, on one hand, denying yourself and suffering for Jesus and whipping yourself, uh, having no fun uh, in order to be spiritual. And then on the other hand, we have this whole idea of abundant living and enjoying all that God has given us, health and wealth, and uh, living in the blessing to be spiritual. See, Jesus was the suffering servant, but he was not a party pooper. No way. He came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly, full life is why he came. And so today we're looking at Jesus' words concerning the road to fruitfulness, where again we'll see these two realities come together during the last week of Jesus' life uh, at the final Passover festival. I've struggled with this sermon, as I mentioned in the first service. I've struggled with it because of the depth of Jesus' words and his heart for each one of us. I know we cannot plumb the depths of his heart for us with words of explanation. Words are so inadequate. See, there is hidden meaning in the sense that God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our natural way of living or thinking or or seeing. So we are utterly dependent on divine revelation from God himself to capture God's heart and to see the hidden secret of the kingdom of God. See, faith is a bit like an eye. An eye doesn't create what it sees, but sees what's there and enters in. Faith is about seeing the realities of God, the substance of things not seen, but we see them and we enter in and we get a hold of them. We need God to open our eyes. We cannot do it ourselves. And our reading this morning comes from John 12. It's a wonderful reading and we have uh, Patricia, I think, will read that for us. Thanks, Patricia. Thank you. Our reading is taken from John chapter 12. Verse 20 to 25. Let's hear the word of God. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Say, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves your life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Amen. Thank you, Patricia. Wonderful words there of Jesus. Here we have in Jesus' words the theological center of the gospel. In fact, the center of the whole Christian story in these words of Jesus. See, we read earlier in chapter 12 that the city in Jerusalem and the streets leading into Jerusalem during this last week of Jesus' life were crowded. There was people everywhere. There was noise, there was smells, everything was happening. People were alive, wandering around, questioning, wondering what's happening. Can you imagine the scene there in the city, the hustle and bustle of the crowds, the city, the, the, the buzz that would have been there. There was Jews, Gentiles, and they were seizing, they were, they were sensing the significance of this moment and were wondering what Jesus was going to do and what Jesus was going to say to them. Because they knew, they sensed that what Jesus was going to do and say was going to change their lives forever and it was going to change the world forever. There was this great sense. See, the, the prophetic words of the Old Testament, the prophets from old, right across the Old Testament were being fulfilled. And there were those that could see them being fulfilled. And there was people coming from across the nations to a Jewish feast in Jerusalem. We read of the Greeks coming and questioning the disciples. So they were coming from far and wide. And the Pharisees of the day hated it. They were in anguish. They were annoyed. And they said, look how the whole world has gone after him. What are we going to do about it? They were obviously so worried. But the fact is that they were right. The whole world was going after him. Jesus was not only being recognised as king of the Jews, but he was being recognised as king of the world by many. He was the saviour of the world. And so they were looking on. And that's why we read in, in verse 20 that these Greeks, there's Greeks at the Jewish festival, they came to Philip and they said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. It's the most important question that anyone could ask. We want to see him. Of course, they meant that they wanted to talk with him. They wanted to understand who he was. They wanted to understand what made him tick. Uh, we, we want to see him. Jesus responded in a way that they didn't expect and no one would have expected. Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it will produce many seeds but but can you imagine them? but 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 Jesus we actually want to talk with you we want to ask some questions we want to get to know you we want to know who you are but what Jesus was saying here is that you will get to know me you will see who I am I will be revealed 
you are here for the revelation of God's heart. And of course, the hour had come. And so they waited. Now, I just want to focus initially on two words, uh, the word glorified and the word hour, before I look at the grain of wheat. She glorified the sun. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the glory of God is his nature and his character. Do you understand that? The weightiness of his being, his substance, his essence, who he really is. That's the glory of God. So to glorify God means to show forth, to reveal who he really is for people to see. So that's glorify God. Let's glorify God, the divine nature and character in all its beauty and magnificence to be seen. See, Jesus had glorified the Father in all that he'd done up to this point. And uh, yet we learn that there is a particular hour yet to come when the glory of God will be revealed. So clearly and so evidently. Everything that happened, of course, prior to this point, this hour, everything flows towards this moment and everything that happens after flows from this moment of glorification. Hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, when the word hour is used in the Gospels and it's used a bit in the Gospels, it's actually speaking of his death. It's speaking of his crucifixion. And you'll know that um, we read in the Gospels that um, they, uh, they didn't seize Jesus. He was saying things and doing things, but they didn't seize him. And we read, because his hour had not yet come. Then on Palm Sunday, Jesus says, the hour has come. The not yet is now. The hour has come for violent people to seize me and crucify me. The hour has come. And this is the day and the hour that the psalmist referred to in Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. That's where it all begins. This day, because we use it for all sorts of every day is really, rejoicing every day. But this is where the psalmist was. He was in the day, this hour, He saw it and he spoke of it in Psalm 118. The hour has come for Jesus to be seen for who he is and to be honoured. Of course, the hour points to the day Jesus would triumph, where he would triumph on the cross, on the cross, which is the central moment in history and the centrality, actually, of the Christian faith. Now, Jesus is saying that his, his death on the cross, him handing himself over to those who want to destroy him, is the greatest moment, the greatest hour in the history of the world. That's what he's saying. When the glory of God will be revealed for all to see, the nature and the character of God will be decisively revealed, and the Messiah is known and our salvation is accomplished. So this is what Jesus is actually losing. So Jesus' death on the cross is his glorification, is his glorification. 
the glorification of God, where we see God's heart shine the brightest, is on the cross. What we see there is self-giving love. Self-giving love is the glory of God. Self-giving love. Not self-centeredness, not self-interest. See, this is all part of the scandal, of course, of the gospel. The great reversal of values and expectations. You see, the moment of um, apparent defeat is victory. And the moment of apparent humiliation is glorification. And who would have expected their God to go to a cross and be crucified. How powerful is that? They would have thought. How almighty is that? A crucified God. See, it's totally foreign to them, be foreign to us today too, but more to them because they had various views of gods and God. And so it's totally counter, the reverse of what they were expecting. And who would have expected to be worshipping In Jerusalem, a crucified king, a crucified Messiah, and that the way to life and fruitfulness is through death, self-giving love. See, this self-giving love is the glory of God. And the Lord gives us eyes to see this. See, While Jesus was physically crucified at a particular point in time, particular hour where he was physically crucified, he's always lived this way, always, throughout all of eternity. That's why we read in the scriptures that he was slain or he was crucified from before the foundation of the world. He's always faithfully lived for the other. In everything he's done, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit give themselves to one another in love. And there's this giving and receiving in God. He's always lived this way, but we see it most vividly. More vividly than we'll see anywhere else. His love and faithfulness expressed as he is there on the cross working out our salvation in ways that we wouldn't expect. See, Jesus is saying to the Greeks who are coming to him, to the Jews and to all of us, here on the cross... As nowhere else, the nature and character of God is revealed for all to see and honour. Turn to the cross. There it is. Turn our eyes there to Jesus. See, here is glory. Here is glory. Do we see it? Here is glory, a crucified God. See, the cross is not the precursor to Jesus being raised in glory, but it is his exaltation. It is his coronation. He reigned from the cross in all his glory. For we see the very centre of his heart, his self-giving love on the cross, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, his truth, his righteousness, his obedience to his Father, given to the other. And we see it there on the cross. And then Jesus goes on to make the point even clearer in this amazing statement about a grain of wheat. Very truly, 
I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. See, the hour of glorification has come and Jesus talks about himself falling into the ground as a grain of wheat and dying. When Jesus says, truly, very truly, or truly, truly, I tell you, what he means is that what I'm about to tell you, you can build your life on it. He's underlining what he's going to say. This is something that you can build your life on. Fruitfulness through death. And Jesus uses the analogy of a grain of wheat, an everyday reality in the first century. They all knew about grains of wheat. And, uh, but he was speaking of his death and his resurrection and the glory of God's abundant life. We see that in wheat. And the fruitful harvest unto eternal life that would follow. See, one grain of wheat, just one single grain of wheat contains the power to feed millions of people. They knew that. Jesus' listeners knew that that grain of wheat or grains of wheat were incredibly fruitful. And we know that wheat has been a part of the stable diet of the world for millennium. In fact, we know that it's underpinned civilization, wheat. These little grains of wheat that Jesus talked about. Because they're portable, grains are portable. They're, they can store them for long periods of time. Uh, you know, during years of drought, you can store grain. Um, high in nutrition, fiber and vitamins. Grains are renewable. They're kind of fruitful, reproduce, and they can be used to produce all sorts of foods. Not just flour and bread and pastries and pasta and cereals and so on. Yet one tiny seed of wheat, grain of wheat, can be stored alone. Need to see this on its own for years, achieving absolutely nothing. Dormant. But when it falls into the ground and it dies, initially it looks barren. The ground, the dirt, looks barren as that grain of wheat falls into the ground. But if there's sun and if there's water, what happens? That single seed dies to itself. It dies to itself and produces a plant, you know, a, a stalk that grows, depending on the wheat, but grows to about a metre high. And uh, a lot of um, wheat has one, two, maybe even up to three heads on it. I know about this because my wife's family are farmers. But you have these heads, and in these heads you can have 30 grains of wheat in each head, up to 50, depending on uh, what's happening, the fruitfulness of the harvest. But one grain of wheat can potentially produce 150 seeds. If you, those 150 seeds can potentially produce 22,000 seeds, they potentially in turn can produce 3 million seeds. If they're planted, they can produce 500 million seeds, then 70 billion seeds in five harvests, all else being equal. And we know that that's not always the case <laughs> with climate, and sun and rain and everything else. 
But that is the potential of wheat, incredibly fruitful. And the global production of wheat in 2018 was 750 million metric tonnes, which is 27 billion times 1 million grains. That's a lot of wheat. I don't know what the number is. But Jesus is talking about a grain of wheat. And when he's talking about a grain of wheat, he's talking about himself. He is that grain and that the pathway to fruitfulness is through death to self-interest. He must, like a grain of wheat, fall into the earth, be buried in the earth, in the ground there, die to become fruitful unto harvest. To be fruitful actually in God's purposes is what he's saying. This is the will of the Father for me. This is why the only way for there to be abundant harvest, this is the only way, this death, for there to be abundant harvest of the nations of the world. And Jesus is saying, I cannot bear fruit apart from the cross other than through dying. Otherwise, I remain alone, all on my own, Jesus on my own. I remain there, but I must die that there must there'll be fruit. If it doesn't die, that seeds, it's, it's an irony, isn't it? Dying to produce fruit. It's a great irony. A grain of wheat actually only lives if it dies to itself. And if it does not die to itself, it doesn't live. It merely exists alone, unfulfilled, unproductive, just sitting in a silo somewhere until it eventually rots, is the image that God is giving to us. So it's no surprise that Paul said that um, the way of the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. But in the end, uh, there are two ways of living, um, that we even have with us today, the Jews and the Greeks. You see, there are those who, like the Jews, fail to realise that you cannot achieve kingdom life by hard moral work, by working hard at it. It doesn't happen. And like those, uh, there are people like the Greeks who fail to realise that human intellect alone is unable to answer and solve the problems of humanity. Both. Though they're stumbling blocks, they they ride across, they cut across. There's no straight road from these two ways, the Greeks uh, and the Jews, no straight line uh, to God and his glory and fruitfulness out of those two ways. Rather, there's this great radical discontinuity. An end to the old must take place. And the beginning of something new must take place, which the natural order provided uh, the parable for Jesus in the grain of wheat. So Jesus points that the way to an abundant life and fruitful life is actually the way of the cross. That involves a dying and a regeneration. And the old ways of the first man, Adam, is inferred in all of this, must be put to death for the new ways of the last man, Jesus, to live in us, 
And this is Jesus' heart for us. So the glory, the beauty of God's character will not be produced in our lives by some sort of linear kind of extension of Jewish religious practices or Greek intellectual power alone. It is actually in an act of supreme self-giving of God in Christ that, the work, that God would be revealed and the life-giving kingdom become available to the nations. See, there are two ways of living in the end. See, we can live a self-centred kind of life, a self-serving way of living, a self-preserving, a kind of self-righteous life that's kind of turned in on itself, looking to better itself alone, or there is a self-giving life, self-giving love that is other person-centred, which doesn't mean not caring for yourself, or it doesn't mean being a doormat, it doesn't mean any of that but it means self-giving. We need wisdom. And there are limitations. We're in a broken world. But see, this self-giving love of God we read about in the great hymn in Philippians 2, which we haven't got time to look at, but we, we all know, or most of us know, this beautiful hymn in Philippians 2. And we read, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or to be exploited. But quite the opposite, being equal with God means giving yourself to the other, giving your life away, giving up who you are, a life that flows in this whole rhythm of giving and receiving from God, the very source of life. You haven't got the source of life in you alone. You need that source to come that it might flow in this giving and receiving. And this is how... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been living through all eternity, this honouring one another, this loving one another, this caring, this reigning. So these things are are contrary to the way that we would think in the natural world, the broken world, the ways of the first Adam, for example, where positions, the position that we have, or what we've acquired is something to be used for our own advantage, self-serving. But Jesus understood his position to be self-giving. Very different. The opposite, in fact. And the people in Jesus' day, in the main, what they were looking for was a king to reign on earth in a glorious earthly fashion, sitting on a royal throne. That's what they were mainly looking for. But Jesus' heart was to reign on the cross, but not just reign on the cross, but to reign on the cross and give what he has to us, that his life might reign in all of us. And he's not just seated on some throne, giving all the orders, but his life might come to us and flow in us and that he might reign in each one of us. See, divine equality doesn't mean getting, it means first giving, and is expressed in this self-giving love. See, Jesus didn't cease to be who he was, but expressed what divinity really looks like and what divinity really is. This is why when the great moment 
of glorification came. Jesus spoke of a grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying. For his great love and faithfulness for the other. And now if being God doesn't mean something to be taken advantage of, but self-giving, can being human be any different? We're made in the very image of God himself to enjoy the life of God, to participate in it. And this is why Jesus says this, what is seemingly really difficult, strong words, but we need to understand them. Anyone who who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it unto eternal life, will keep it for eternal life. See, the glory of God is attained through death is true not only for the saviour of the world, but it's true for you and I. The way of the cross is the way to fruitfulness in all our lives. And Jesus is not saying to reject the world. This is why we've got to be careful with these words. He's not saying to reject the world, but rather cease to follow the ways of the world that exclude God. Do you see that? That exclude the very source of life, the eternal life, the life that goes on forever. Don't exclude that. For not to die to the ways of the world is to cling to this worldly life which is self-centred and is passing away. And so you will lose your life because it will pass away. Jesus is saying if we cling to our lives, we destroy them because clinging to self and being alone and independent actually violates our essential nature and character. Clinging to our lives, kind of protecting only our own interests, our own agendas, our own careers, our own possessions, our own well-being, insisting that everything must go our way, everything must work well for us, then we lose, says Jesus, for violating the very nature of who we are. We're created in the image of God and so to reflect the self-giving love of God in us, that that might come alive in us, the very character of God. God is love. And love involves the other. And love is giving first. So this life through death principle actually is a law of the kingdom of God. When we talk about law in the kingdom of God, we're talking about this is the way that it is in the heart of God. This is, this is his heart. That's the law of God or the spirit of the, the law of life. That's how it is in God. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. You see the principle there that Paul understood? See, the cross was costly. Fruitfulness is costly. There's nothing much that you can achieve that's good or worthwhile in the world that doesn't cost you anything. It's a principle See, married couples with children know about this self-giving reality of life. And mothers with children know that for the joy that's set before them, 
they endured the cross of childbirth. And boy, is it a cross. They endured it for the joy, for the joy, for the fruit that was set before them. Being parents, raising children, involves incredible sacrifice, a dying to self-interest or certain other things that you could be doing with yourself and pursuing a fruitful career in whatever vocation in life, uh, in whatever field, requires self-sacrifice, doesn't it? You don't get very far without that. We need to study, we need to work hard, we need to be dying to certain other things in our life in order for the fruit to come. You know, you can't just expect to get on without doing anything, even when you don't feel like doing it. So if we hold on to our lives, we keep everything intact, like this grain of wheat alone, just existing alone, and don't give ourselves, then we're going to lack fruitfulness in our lives. Give our lives away and we win. We live by dying. And the cross, the cross that Jesus bore is a cross that no one else, none of us or anyone could ever bear. See, the cross that he bore was the cross that put to death, death. We can't do that. But we all bear crosses. Take up our cross and follow. We all have crosses that we need to bear. But he has borne the cross that sets us free to follow him and to bear our own crosses. See, for us, everything begins with a surrendering of our life to Christ, which is a dying to self and an abiding in Christ and letting the spirit of Christ, the river of life, flow within us, yielding the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. All of these things are of the fruit of the Spirit, not our fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in us. But the thing is that that runs out of us into the world and forms the very life-giving fabric of a good and peaceable and loving world. But it comes from within and it comes from Christ. But once we've started on a journey with the Lord, we all know that there's a need as we walk on to continue to die to self, continue to put off certain things, deny certain things in our lives and put on new things, put on Christ, put this on, take that off, put this on. That's a life journey for all of us. And, uh, The idea is, of course, that Christ, by his spirit, might reign in the end in every area of our lives. See, we so often live with Christ reigning in particular places, but we don't want him there. We want to keep that for ourselves. We like that, and we want to rule and reign in that place. But God, in his grace, comes to us, puts his finger on those things, that we might actually be changed and transformed and be fruitful, more fruitful in our lives. And I wonder this morning, what needs to die in your life, given what Christ has opened up for you, for, for, for his fruitfulness to abound all the more in and through your life? You know, I often think in my own life about where I spend my time, 
the amount of time we might spend, all of us might spend in different aspects of life. You know, the amount of time we spend sitting on the couch, the amount of time we spend sort of browsing the internet, the amount of time we spend on social media, the amount of time that we might spend um, in sports or hobbies, um, watching Netflix, whatever it might be, all these things are good. Don't get me wrong, they're good things. But there often needs to be a pruning in our lives, a putting to death of some things, a cutting back in some places that that time might be used more profitably. Sowing more time, for example, into your relationship with the Lord himself, reading his word, seeking his face, you're taking up opportunities that might come, even with Ellen Helen Meyer, to learn and to grow in the ways of the Lord. Get involved in a connect group to learn and to go on in God. All of these things the Lord puts on our hearts at different points in our lives. What about sowing more time, maybe, into the lives of your children? At different points in time, I've needed that prompting. We get caught up in all sorts of things. That the fruit, that the fruit in that dying to other things and sowing it into your children might create a legacy that abounds for generations of great joy and peace and blessing in the earth that might come as a result of you dying to certain things that you might spend that time. Bringing great joy to you, by the way, and also to others. What about your marriage? It's investing in this most significant relationship that there might be this yielding of the beauty of intimacy, that it might grow in your marriage, that then brings fruit out and blessing to others as you spend time uh, investing in that marriage relationship. We're sowing more time into friendships. See, we often, in the world that we live, don't have time to catch up with people. We're too busy. We don't get the diary out and say we're going to catch up and we need to catch up. We haven't caught up for a long time. All of these things are so important for maintaining healthy relationships. You know what I mean? Or I'm the only one. But friendships are crucial for us in our lives. What about where you sow your finances? How you use your possessions? You know, are you simply investing? The Lord challenges us all on these things. Just investing in, in your own life, in your own things, in your own interests. But there'll be this great kind of benefit of investing in the lives of others. And therefore, the multiplying effect of that that would go far and beyond investing in such a small place. These things the Lord speaks to us about. Maybe we need to be in control, in control of our lives. And there needs to be a laying down that the Lord might reign in that place on the throne heart of your life. These things are real. These things are big. What about lack of forgiveness in your life and this need to kind of humble yourself and to, uh, to let go and to die to yourself that you and others might be released into greater fruitfulness? We hold on to things. Maybe you're carrying bitterness or hurts that need to die, that life, might spring up in its place. Peace and joy and love and relationship 
Maybe um, you're a complainer or you gossip or you dominate conversations or it's always all about you and you're always right. Maybe these things, some of these things need to be put to death. That fruitfulness and relationship and life might abound all the more in your life, the good fruit that comes. You know, there are things in all our lives, none of us are immune from these things. I could go on and on. And as I prepared, there were many things that the Lord put his finger on that relate to me. But all of us, there are things. But my experience with the Lord is when there is something significant, he does that, he doesn't overwhelm us, puts his finger on one thing often at a time and gives us opportunity to respond. And as we do, we, enter in, we possess more of the kingdom of God. And other things get opened up and we enter into that and we grow and we mature in Christ and we find our lives are being transformed before our very eyes, but we don't see it. It just happens over time. And I know that to be true in my own life. And so as we come to the Lord's table now, We've got an opportunity not just to come and, and, and partake here, but we've got an opportunity to respond in our hearts to him. What he's been saying to us, if anything, this morning. Um, there may be some here who the Lord has spoken to you for the very first time about his self-giving love, how much he loves you, and how much he wants to give his life to you, to you to participate in his life and to know him and to be in a whole new journey of fruitfulness. And there'll be others here, like me, who've known the Lord for a long time, but there are particular things in our life that the Lord puts his finger on that we know we need to put to death, we need to put off, that we might put on the new, way with the old, on with the new in those particular areas. And so as we come, and just before I pray, it's often good just to do something when we want to respond to the Lord. So if the Lord is speaking to you, whether for the first time or any particular issue, then just raise your hand and then put it back down again. It's very helpful. I'm doing it now because there are things I'm responding to. Um, We all need to. But why don't we do that? Just take this time, just before we come to the table, if there's something that the Lord is saying that you'd like to respond to him about and let him do that wonderful work, cooperate with him, just raise your hand and put it down. Just raise your hand. Put it down. Bless you. Bless you. Oh, Father, we thank you for your heart for us. You gave... Because you so loved us, because you so loved the world, you gave your only son. And because he so loves you and he so loves us, he faithfully gave himself for us on the cross. Oh, Lord, these things are deep. And Father, because he gave himself, your son, Jesus has opened up the possibility that you might give us your Holy Spirit, that your Spirit might dwell within us, that we might know you and that we might live and that life might reign within us. 
Oh, Lord, we thank you. Lord, for those responding for the first time to you, I pray that you would fill with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that's your heart. Come, Lord, and do that wonderful birthing work that regeneration might come. And Lord, for those responding to particular issues in their lives, oh Lord, you are the one who's able to destroy, break down strongholds as we agree with you. And so Lord, I pray that you would grant the power, Lord, to to die that we might live, that you might rise up, Lord, in those places, Lord, that are not right in our lives. And Jesus, on that last day, the very last supper, in the upper room with your disciples, you declared that you were indeed the Passover lamb. You were the Messiah. And taking bread, giving thanks to the Father, you broke it. And giving it, Lord, you gave this bread to your disciples. And you said this, take and eat. This is my body given, given for you. That you might have life, you might have my life in you. For I am the Lamb of God, says Jesus. Eat the Lamb. And likewise, Lord, taking the cup. You took a cup. Again, you go thanks and giving it to the disciples. You said to them, drink from it, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood. I give my life for you says Jesus. And this table here was inaugurated on that day, very first time. Passover became this table of bread and wine, the symbol of the reality that God himself has given his life and transformed our human situation through his own death and resurrection. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.